What do you love to do? Can you remember the last time you had a hobby that didn't involve an ulterior motive? That didn't involve money or hustle culture and that made you feel maybe a little bit vulnerable and afraid to be judged? I want to hear about that story. We all have something that gives us passion and it's my goal to re-inspire you to find the joy in your life by talking with other people about the things that make them happiest. I'm Megan Bream. This is Anything But Beige. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Welcome to the show. So excited you're here today. My interview today is, it kind of has like a personal tinge for me because my husband is a writer and I love the journey that writers go through. I just, I have a, I guess a personal, uh, seat in it. What am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say. So (laughs) I brought on Russell Nolte to talk about turning your passion into a business and how you balance keeping that passion and running a business too. He has written numerous books in the fantasy genre and it's such a cool topic. It's such a, I'm so inspired by his journey, especially because if you know anything about my story, you know that I burned out from my first business because uh, the passion just wasn't there anymore. And I had turned it into this life I hated. So to see other people succeed in this is so inspiring and such a cool journey to get to witness. So here is my interview with Russell, and I hope that you love it as much as I did. Uh, My name is Russell Nolte, and I love writing. So, Russell, I am so interested. I see, you know, I assume the books you've written are Origins of Japan. Oh yeah, there's a some there's a some of our books. So uh, the Cthulhu books are, are anthologies, but then all of these books are books that I've written, and it's really just a small uh, small collection of them. I think the stack now goes up to maybe uh, maybe Melissa's Eye back there if I were to just line them all up because I've written 18 novels uh, plus multiple graphic novels plus I've been in dozens of anthologies myself and uh, then uh, edited my own anthologies That's so impressive and so my husband is a writer and so I have a familiar familiarity with the um, struggle that it is to and to get the publisher things like that. So your staff is incredibly impressive. Um, <laughs> that was not a good um, What? Do you, do you want to start with writing or do you want to start with mythology monsters? Where, where do you think you're... Well, they both kind of go uh, intertwined together, but I suppose my writing goes back before Mythology and Monsters. So I've been a writer since 2006, um, pretty heavily since 2008. So in 2006, I wrote my first um, movie that I directed and uh, wrote, which you can see on um, on YouTube. It's called Connections. And uh, it's we broke it into a web series. I think it's like 10 or 11 parts now of like five minutes each. Uh, and then after that, I got in a car accident and I couldn't direct really or shoot or do anything because I was in a neck brace for six months. And I just decided I realized that writing was the only thing you didn't need anyone else to do. So I 
just started writing movies and TV and everything. And uh, weirdly, I didn't write any fantasy back then. I but I wrote um, uh, thriller and sci-fi and romantic comedy and um, and like indie stuff and and uh, all sorts of things. And I sort of fell in love with writing then because it was an act that you don't need permission for. Um, uh, when you're a director, or you're 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 always trying to find money or a cast or something. When you're an actor, you're always trying to find a director to cast you. When you're a director of photography, you're always trying to find a crew. Or when you're a crew, you're always trying to find the next person to hire you. Um, writing is the only one that like you start with a blank page and you finish with a thing. And at the end of it, people can like it. People cannot like it. People can buy it. People cannot buy it. But you do not need any permission to do it. And so um, about six months after I got in that car accident, um, I moved to Los Angeles with my wife in June of 2008 and tried to make my living as a uh, screenwriter. And uh, it didn't really pan out for me that, uh, that, 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 that well. Uh, but my manager introduced me to comics and uh, I fell in love with comics. I made, uh, I decided to make some comics and um, that came my first book wannabes about fake superheroes that uh, get real superpowers. And then really the first two books that broke me out, Ichabod Jones, Monster Hunter and uh, Katrina Hates the Dead, which are both sort of dark fantasies with a lot of mythology in them. So um, especially Katrina Hates the Dead. Ichabod Jones is about a mental patient that escapes an asylum and becomes a monster hunter during the apocalypse, but doesn't know if he's killing monsters, humans, or it's all in his head the whole time. So it's dark fantasy, psychological horror. The mythology is very um, light in that book. In the first volume, we're now working on the third volume, and the mythology gets much deeper uh, as you go on. Um, whereas Katrina is... Uh, purely a satire of left behind uh, really like if you at, 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 its, at, its, at its core uh it's a satire of left behind um it's about a girl who gets sick of living during the apocalypse she sets out to hell to kill the devil and gets embroiled in a battle between heaven and hell uh so it's really like a judeo-christian demonology like it starts two years after the apocalypse has ended uh, ha has begun and like she sets out to end it and during that, she finds uh, she gets uh, she she fights hydras and minotaurs and cherberus dogs and goes and and uh, Anubis monsters and uh, and just all sorts of like things that you would find in Judeo Christian, also Greek and Roman mythology. And uh, that book became uh, the basis for my most popular book series called the Godsverse Chronicles, um, which takes what I learned in Katrina or what I did in Katrina and expands it into an entire universe spanning 13,000 years um, and with another graphic novel called uh, Pixie Dust, which sets place 3,000 years before Katrina, and then 12 stories across four novel collections that go from 3,000 years before Katrina and the apocalypse to 10,000 years after. That's so fantastic. Well, I, like, you're just blowing my mind, clearly. That I can't finish complete sentences. Um, what I'm really interested in hearing about is how you are creating your own mythologies and blending them in with minotaurs and sort of own mythologies. So, um, how do you, is it an intentional thing that you do to create these unique hybrid mythologies, or is it just something that kind of flows as you're writing? Well, um, the, whole basis for the entire Godsverse Chronicles is um, how we moved from monotheism to poly uh, polytheism to monotheism. So this is really crazy. Uh, I just got back from a research trip to Italy to like really codify this. But 
it's really crazy to go around the world and watch all of how how, how Catholicism specifically has transformed these pagan temples into Catholic churches and cathedrals. And so like literally wiping out the the old gods for the new God. And so that sort of became the basis of like, what if all gods were real and then how we move from polytheism to monotheism. And so the book is really the whole mythology. You don't get this in Katrina Hates the Dead. You get you have to like read the whole gods verse for this. But the overarching mythology is that when a habitable world is formed, all the gods come and they kind of make sure it's sustainable. And then uh, they all leave, uh, leaving like a regent who's like kind of like a duke, uh, like a duke in like medieval medieval times um, uh, uh, to 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 keep up the planet, make sure that they're following the 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 worship uh, worshiping the old gods. And like there are different levels of dukes. Some dukes are benevolent. Some regents are good. Some are bad. We happen to end up with one of the worst, who is Bacchus, who's a vain drunk, who turned everyone who uh uh who is vain so he convinced everyone that he was uh uh omnipotent omniscient and omnibenevolent which is like a, a circle i can't square it's the circle i can't square for like for catholicism as a lapsed catholic mm-hmm. and uh then uh he also uh his vanity m- made him uh transmute transform all of the temples and force people to basically worship him and him alone uh, and made it a sin to even worship any of the gods that like they're supposed to be worshiping. Uh, so that sort of became the basis. And once I had that basis for like how all of the sort of monsters of mythology could be on earth, uh, and that all of the gods were real, uh, it just be- it became kind of, um, organic to start with the Greek gods, which is where we really start with the, uh, first Katrina not, uh, books and then move out into, uh, Norse, Egyptian, um, Hindu and a bunch more. So you sort of see it, uh, expand out as time goes on naturally. But I felt like I had to start with, I had to ground it in something. So the first story is all basically Judeo Christian and demonology. And then the next two stories are all, um, are all, uh, uh, Greek and Roman. So in the second book, she sets out to kill the Greek gods. In the third book, the Titans. And then the uh, next set of stories, uh, you introduce the God's Church, which is the sort of the intergalactic organization that protects all gods. And so that's how we introduce Norse gods into it and Egyptian gods into it. And then we run all the way back 3,000 years and really focus on hell itself. So the thing that I am most interested in in all of mythology is hell and underworlds and like what happens after you die. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, it became it doesn't the, the, the reading order is not the chronological order. Um, so things happen at different times of the world, but I really wanted to expand kind of out from like one mythology where people would be like grounded and then move out into more and more and more complex things as time goes on. So it seems, I mean, saying it just seems huge and really overwhelming. So how do you, like, what is your process to start this and then to expand it into a Um, I don't know if I realized how big it would be. Um, so for instance, so, uh, 
there are so many overarching like things that are similar about all mythologies. Like there's always a god of the underworld. There's always some sort of underworld, whether it's Helheim or Hell or or the underworld. There's always a devil, or, like some sort of demon or 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 god in charge of that underworld. There's always a god of the sky who's the god of the sky is almost always the person who's like the leader of the of the of like the 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 the, the pantheon, uh, whether it's Brahma or or uh, Odin or Zeus or um, in, uh, um, Inara or whatever it is. There the, and you know there's always uh, there's always uh, gods of war. Like so, there's an analogous almost to all of these things across all religions and and. Um, and so, and going all the way back to Samaria to now, uh, and the, the, a lot of the stories are similar across all of these uh, mythologies. So, it sort of became once I once I w- once you understand that, like you know, Shiva and Ares kind of are like 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 two sides of the same coin, depending on like what I mean. They're not perfectly analogous, right? But like they they they, they fulfill. A, a very similar role in the part of the mythology. Like they are the destroyer. They are the ones that are like, that are, that are, um, uh, and, 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 and each, each mythology kind of has that. And each, and many mythologies have a male God and a female goddess. And so it, it sort of became like how to catalog each of these things. Okay. There's like a, a ring. So there's, there's, God separated by pantheon. And like, then they are just like we're separated into countries. And then they all kind of control different parts of the universe. And then there are uh, like a class of God that is like a love God or a war God or a, and they, they're not perfectly analogous. Like I, I want to make sure like uh, there's, because each one is sort of slightly different from other ones. And many of them like have five or six that are like, he's the God of war and the God of love and the God of thunder. And like, so you have to, you have to uh, make uh, some, some sort of like logical uh, uh, leaps uh, to just make it all make sense. Uh, But uh, I, I, I tried to put some logic behind it. And then if you understand, okay, so like the Greek gods control this part of the galaxy and the Norse gods control this part of the galaxy and the Egyptian gods control this part of the galaxy, then you uh, sort of can work it like a a, 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 a a world, right? So like, okay, so this is North America and that's South America and this is, and this are, and these are how they communicate with each other. And like these two don't like each other and these ones don't like each other, but just like uh, with if, like there are, I have friends who are Russian, even though Russia and America are not like close allies. So it just, it just kind of, uh, kind of, I, I have a degree in sociology along with broadcast journalism. So thinking of things in that way of like, these are groups of, 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 of people. And this is how the groups act has always been very intuitive to me. And then from there, you can take something like the God's church, which becomes sort of the, the crux of a lot of the stories in the future, at least. And you can say, okay, so we have a God's church. The God's church is like the CIA or the FBI. And their job is to protect and track down things. And like, 
different people like it becomes sort of the node where all of these gods kind of come between and I, 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 for, with my new series, the, my secret series that I've been working on for a couple of years, I was much more uh, pointed about how it worked when I, before I started, which I think makes that universe richer than like the Godsverse Chronicles, because the Godsverse Chronicles was really, really two graphic novels. And then I was like, how do I connect these together? Okay. There's a lineage of hell. Uh, so. Uh, the first one would be Anubis, even though it probably goes back further than that, but I'm just gonna say that the first one is Anubis and then Hades takes over. And then I got to have Velasca, who's like the God of the underworld, because that's the God of the underworld, like 3000 years ago in this story. So she's got to be there after Hades. And then, uh, after, after, uh, after, uh, Velasca, well, the, the devil is uh is the, the 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 devil in the in Katrina so the devil has to be the one to take over but like if how do you get from a god to a devil and that sort of and and to an angel so that it, it sort of merged from there it's like okay so maybe things start going downhill once um Lucifer takes over because Lucifer is not a god he is a he is a he's an angel which means he does not have the capacity maybe to govern hell in the way that a god would govern hell and so all right so now things go downhill from there and then all of the gods leave and they leave bacchus in charge and like bacchus doesn't care about any of this stuff he just wants to like get drunk and be left alone and so he he abdicates all responsibility and i'm like well there's been a lot of kings in the world that have like abdicated the responsibility who were just trashy and horrible and so i i, I kind of took all of these things that I know from history and mapped them onto how it would, how like the socio-political machinations of God's work mm -hmm. and sort of that one built out organically. Uh, I, I, I think uh, it was, it was very hard to get it all to work in one thing because I had these two disparate pieces mm -hmm. and no intention of building a universe around them. But I think having the, sort of uh, anchor points also helped ground the narrative. And then once you have all of sort of the overarching stuff, telling a singular story is actually pretty easy because you're not going to find all the gods. You're not going to find all the gods in any one story. No story has all of the gods. So when you look at mythology, usually there's one God, maybe two gods involved in a story. So you really can go through that way there and say, okay, so I want this story to be about this main God these minor gods and then like they all put they all come together in this way and what i was thinking as you were saying that is um how this sounds it, it's a timeless tale in that uh, it sounds very much like dynasty succession right and so like
It does. And so uh, what I love about fantasy, the thing I love about fantasy most of all is that you can take things that uh, are taboo to talk about in the world and you can map them onto like a fantasy setting like how we deal with orcs and orcs might be like, I mean, orcs have always been like a sort of stand in for like BPOC, like BPOC people, like, like, uh, uh, and so like, uh, you can flip that on its head and be like, well, like, why do we consider that race evil? And like, and I like, tell a story like set in there that like, you couldn't, like, people would not be willing to have that conversation with you in like, the world like many of them especially ones that don't share your political view but you can start a story about uh like like start that conversation about orcs and then move it into the real world so in that same way the gods very much function as the oligarchy or the ruling class of uh of a country or of uh monarchy or and and the humans so the thing about the, the the main characters of the gods verse are not these gods. Like the gods, like are a a a, a a a a capricious part of the universe. But the people who are lead the stories are the humans or human like creatures like pixies who are caught up in this capricious nature of gods. And I thought that it was really important because I am very much about class warfare, like 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 discussing like class. And um, and like the, the 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 ways that we have agency in our lives, and so the books become very much about like humans, uh, regular people, proletariat people who have some control and some agency, and are fighting against the bourgeoisie or the ruling class. But setting that in a world that has nothing to do with that, like you know. I, I said that in a world of gods and 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 humans and the universe as a whole instead it acts as America or acts as the world but there's not um uh, but th there's not um uh, uh like any of the grounding so there's grounding in how the world works in the way that Game of Thrones is grounded in War of the Roses but not like actually about War of the Roses um uh, and 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 I think it becomes very compelling if you can use fantasy in that way. Uh, you can you can have these conversations about like like what it means to to have faith in something that is flawed, and uh, and 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 what do, and 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 you know the ramification the ramifications of uh, people ruling over you but having no idea of what it actually means to be one of you. So like the gods created this world and like they are all powerful theoretically, but they like really have no, it's like, like we are playthings to them. Like we are like not equal to them. And that is how I feel about like most oligarchs, most rich people in this, like they get to a level where like, they're so rich that like, they don't see like I don't think Mark Zuckerberg like sees humans like I, I think he just sees like these are a whole bunch of people who are on my platform like there's two billion of them underneath me. I think he sees like the matrix, you know, it's just all data streams of just potential revenue sources and not just people that are autonomous, and, you know, for lack of a better word, that have feelings, passions, and individuals. 
Absolutely. And in the same way, the gods are very much like that. So the gods are removed from humanity in a way that is sometimes good. At the end of every month, I'm planning to do a Q&A special, answering all of your questions, either about what we just talked about or anything in between. I'm happy to hear back from you and help you out if I can. If you could do me a favor and go to thebeigehouse.com slash askmegan, you can leave your comment or your question. I'll be able to answer it on the next Q&A episode. Again, the address is thebeigehouse.com slash askmegan. Askmegan is all one word. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Like sometimes being uh, removed from humanity lets you see things objectively uh, in a way that like humans don't. But they also use excuses like, well, I work on a morality that like you can't understand. And it's like, no, you're just kind of a jerk. Like you're just kind of a jerk. Like, sorry, Mitch McConnell, you're just kind of a jerk. Like you've got a 17% approval rating. Like so people don't like what you're doing and yet you still continue to do it in the way that like even the people in your own state don't like. And like, uh, and that's not just Mitch McConnell. He just was the first person that popped in my head. But like this goes across almost all politicians like feel like like they tend to take these things that people really want and then say, oh, but people don't actually really want them. And sometimes it's good. Like, for instance, like like. People clearly half of the people don't want to wear a mask, but like they need to wear a mask. Like they need to wear a mask. Like, we need to be like in a place where like everyone wears a mask because like uh, the coronavirus is bad. And so having people that are telling you to do the thing that is hard, even though you don't want to do, and sometimes is important that like you have that dispassionate thing and saying, I'm the mother, like I'm your mother, like. You don't have to like what I have to say. You just have to do it because it's for your best interest. Like there's a reason you're not eating ice cream every day for like breakfast. Like you're going to get fat and you're going to get like, and then you're going to like be unhealthy. And I don't want that to happen. Uh, uh, so, but then there's other times where like, which I think is more often than not when you're, it, it, it is parents or uh, politicians or rich people. Uh, they, they, they they have that mentality that like they always know what's best or like they just don't care or like I'm going to what is what is Winston Churchill said uh one death is a one death is a tragedy a million death is a statistic yeah. and it's like okay level well, like there's something wrong with that like there's something wrong with like with with, with never ending war and all of these things that, like people find un, unpalatable and uh and and you should like listen to the fact that like 70% of the people want some sort of Medicare for all option. Like you should just listen to that thing. Uh, sorry. I'm like a very far left like person, but like there are other things on the right that I would agree with too. Like libertarians are always talking about like how the police need to be, uh, have too much power. And like most people now agree with that statement and maybe you should look into that instead of, instead of like acting like you are this dispassionate, god above us uh and so the god's verse really became sort of this treatise about like these women who are the leads of the, the these books these stories taking agency for their own actions and and fighting against the the fates that the gods have demanded they have and making themselves be seen and be heard and being an integral part of how the universe operates. And that little, little, little people that just exist can have like massive ramifications on the, uh, on the fate 
of humanity. And it's interesting to hear people re who read my books and then come back and they're like, you know, this is a time we don't have any agency. I don't feel like I don't have any agency now because like I can't leave my house. I can't do all this stuff. So listening to someone like Katrina or reading someone like Rebecca uh, or Julia, like have agency in her own life. Like it, it, it makes me I, like it makes me feel like I could have agency in my own life. And that's really what I was trying to do with this series. So how do you, as a writer, you know, what I, you know, my husband is, it's a compulsion that you are compelled to write, and you're also making an income from it. So it, I, you know, it comes along the territory of all of the shit that comes along with a job. And so how do you balance um, not burning out with it and keeping a love of it and still having to do still keep it in a structure of a business oh i burn out on it all the time like <laughs> at least like four times a year i burn out on writing mm -hmm. i say i'm never going to do it again and then you know i tons of dozens of maybe hundreds of times in my life i've burnt out on like writing or creativity and thus and the the light went out inside and and it was sad and i was like well never going to have that spark again but it like slowly comes back mm -hmm. the thing that i do now to to keep the protective of the creative part of me mm -hmm. is I believe I, I try and I, I what I do is I separate the two sides of Russell. So there's a business side of Russell and there's a creative side of Russell. And the the business owner for Wannabe Press is I'm the I act as the publisher and Russell Nolte, the writer, is my number one like writer. He's the most important writer in my company because he returns the most money. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is very important that I protect that person. And so publisher Russell's job is to handle all of the scheduling, all of the outlining, all of the book production, all of that other stuff. So that creative Russell can do his best work mm -hmm. and to protect the time that creative Russell is at his best. So for me, the time that I um, am the most productive is between 9am and 2pm. And so my job then is to make sure that nothing happens between 9am and 2am and 2pm that would distract me from being able to do the creative work that I do. And that anything else that is related to like, um, uh, uh, logistics and production and shipping and warehousing and all of that stuff is taken care of by business Russell um, because there is something special about the actual writing process. So I believe that it's my job as the publisher to uh, research the stories, to write the outlines, to uh, make sure that it is ready for uh, that, that it is, has its best chance to succeed. And um, I believe that uh, it is also my job to handle the covers and the, uh, and the, and deal with the editing and the proofreading and make sure that, all of that stuff is covered so that when when 9 a.m. hits, Russell, creative Russell can take over and for five hours, they can he can write 5,000 words. And that is the goal of creative Russell is to get five hours of good stuff a day so that business Russell can work for five more hours doing all of that stuff. Now, uh, I say that there is a caveat where certain days um, become different. So for instance, uh, on, I, I just got a big shipment of books in that I have to spend at least the day packing and shipping. 
So creative Russell is just taking a vacation on Thursday and it's just, and, and most Mondays recently, um, uh, and for the fat past three months, most of my days, um, have been, uh, Mondays at least is a promotion day. So I am doing mostly like meetings from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I'm not doing any writing that day. So again, Russell, Nol- uh, creative Russell gets off on that Monday. Uh, and, uh, certain other, like after four, like, like, uh, other, uh, other Russell takes over. And then if I'm doing a launch day, so I can't usually write and la- do a, like the first two days of a launch or uh, especially the first day of a launch are pretty stressful. So mm-hmm. I can't really write on that day. So there are certain days that like are an exception to that rule. But for the most part, my goal is to spend most mm-hmm. of my time, uh, writing, uh, for, five hours a day, getting 5,000 words in, and then making sure that all of the other stuff is taken care of so that Creative Russell can do his best work. So how do you protect that Creative Russell? How do you... It, it's such a mind shift set, right? Of uh, Mindset shift of being creative and not letting all of the other stuff so, well, the first part is really you have to know when you're at your best, like when you're at your best for the creative. Most people don't know that. Like it might be 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. I don't know when you're most creative, but everybody has a time where their their, their brain sort of comes alive in the creative time. And it's really important that you sort of track that and know when that is. You know, I thought at one point it was like seven to three, but like I needed some time in the morning to get like myself together. And so it really became like a nine to two became like the real time. And some days, you know, I start at eight. Some days I, I go till five, like some days, like today, I sort of have to shift everything um, because I have like some stuff to do in the morning that I literally could not get out of. So I, I like, I, 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 I it was uh, so, and I, and I absolutely had to do it then. So those uh, there's, there's again, exceptions to those days, but the, on a consistent basis, you're most creative at certain times. Like it just like, and it, it, the natural flow comes to each person differently. And it might be for two hours. It might be for three hours or it might be for eight hours. Um, it, it's just, it's important that you understand that like the marketing and stuff has to get done. Like it has to get done, but it should not be getting done in the time that you are most creative. Um, whatever that time is. Uh, so if it means like being creative for like being creative for three hours and that's all you get in that day and the rest of the time is in marketing and sales and customer service and all of that stuff, then like that's what you get for that day. Uh, that's what you get. Like, and you have to learn then how to be productive in that time and most productive in that time. And so whatever the time frame is, um, now, now you have to get hyper productive. And so, for instance, I used to get like a thousand words done in a day and now I get 5,000 words done in a day. And so, uh, it's just about maximizing that time that you actually have. Um, some of my friends are very blessed to be able to like be in the creative thing all day, every day. I've very rarely found that to be the case. What I have found mostly to be the case is that people sabotage their creative time by planning meetings during it or planning uh picking up kids from school or whatever the thing is so um 
it's really if you can be guarded about that creative time and be like, hey, meetings can come and go outside of this time, but from one to six every day, like it is it, it is it is my time to do the work and to do the green time work that like is going to make me money. Uh, the thing is that it's hard to understand that the creative pursuit that we're doing is the thing that's going to make us money because me writing doesn't make me money while I'm writing it. It makes me money later. Um, so like launching makes me money. And so shouldn't I be launching all the time? But like, I have to write in order to launch a book. So um, the real activity of the business whether that's like doing the IT work or doing the plumbing work or like doing the writing work or like doing the artwork. Um, that is not necessarily a thing that gets you paid in the moment, but the, but it is the, it is the necessary part to do to get paid. If books don't get written, it doesn't matter how often I launch because like there'll be nothing to launch. So, um, so yeah, so under business Russell understands that creative Russell must like have that time to himself because if, if creative Russell doesn't deliver books on a timely schedule, then, uh, then business Russell has nothing to, has no business. Sorry, I'm muted. What I was thinking when you're saying that is it, that is brilliant. And, um, Incredibly disciplined. Um, I know you said that there are some days it just it doesn't work out that way, but it, it's a very impressive discipline to have both this passion and business and how they kind of work together. Do you have like a ritual or do you have like a talisman or something that you use to like say like okay, this is now that I have this like when you're talking about you have business Russell and Data Russell, I ran a company. So company, and so I had Metropolis Megan. She was the business person, and she was the you know talk you and sell you and blah blah blah. And but and I would use the I would use this compass necklace to be this is when Metropolis Megan comes on, and she's fucking exhausting, but she comes when she needs to be. And so they know that when I put that necklace on, it's like a Superman or something like that is the that's the time, and so. Do you have any kind of thing like that to kind of protect that time for you as either creative or as business? No, I used to have this. I guess I still have him on my table. It's called the Always Be Closing Tiger, Klaus, the Always Be Closing Tiger. And so I would put it in my pocket when I was doing sales. Mm -hmm. um, but when I moved home, yeah, I, I it just kind of evolved naturally. Sometimes I have... I don't know where it is. Ah, I have this uh, headband that if I'm not doing the work that I need to be doing, I put on this headband and like I have to like like that tells me that like tells my brain that like you need to really get um you need to get your butt in gear. That's good. Um, you so, um, you've been writing for a really long time, uh, and how did you decide? That not only is this something that you love, but this is what you want to get the world that you love and earn your income. 
Um, I mean, it started with just trying. I, I was so deep in a hole on these books that I just had to launch them. Like the first uh, Ichabod book, it was like almost ten grand, and the in the Katrina's uh, is is uh, Katrina hates the dead book was like fifteen grand. So I was like twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt on these books, and I just needed to like recover that cost. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I I I left my job. And I was left with like these books that I like had like in my, like I had at my disposal. And so it kind of at the beginning was just like, uh, like uh, survival. And then they started selling and allowed me to do more and more and more and more stuff. But the beginning was really just like, I need to break even on these books and like find a way to make this profitable. And, uh, and and I didn't it really was not until a couple of months ago that I really realized that, like, the only thing that keeps me sane is the writing part of it. Like, I'll be honest, like writing is a terrible, terrible, terrible job profession choice. Like it is uh, it is low margin. It takes forever to write. There's in- insane competition that are driving the prices down like there are uh, and, and like. Uh, you know, there you're competing with KU. If you're wide, like you're competing with just so many other places that it's. Uh, uh, if I was if if I was smart, I would do literally anything else. Uh, <laughs> because like I've got a course company, and like the literal courses are five hundred dollars, and like like I sell one, and it's the same as selling a thousand copies almost of uh, of, uh, of of some of my books, and. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I could do that way easier and like scale that way easier, but I just can't do it. Like every time I go to like, and I've got like a whole website devoted to it towards the called the complete creative. It's got a podcast. It's got 400 blog posts. It's got like nine courses. It's like literally ready to go. It's all SEO'd and the whole thing. I just can't get myself to like do it. Whereas. I can get myself to do the writing. I can get myself to do the studying. I can get myself to, to buy the courses and take the courses and like work on improving and like spending time uh, talking about it and discussing it and reading and doing all of the things that I need to do. Just like I do it naturally. And so I've decided, just learned that like the complete creative is a wonderful byproduct of my work as a writer because it it allows me to to uh, have an outlet for like teaching all of the things that I learn. Mm-hmm. But like, I just, I have no passion for like figuring out how to sell courses. Like I'm not going to take Amy Porterfield's like go and make a webinar course. Like I'm just not going to do like any of the things that I need to do to like sell the course. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone comes along and is like, I have a plan to come to sell your courses and like give me X amount of money and I'll like, make the courses profitable like yeah like i will clearly look into that and i have many times before uh but as far as like i don't i like i'm i I deal with depression and anxiety and like graves disease and migraines and all of this stuff in my head that like uh, uh all of the bad voices in my head and like the course stuff doesn't quiet them. The writing quiets them. And, and, and the writing makes me feel like I have control over a world that is uncontrollable. And so, um, 
it's just the thing that like, I, uh, you know, I, if I was doing the course business full time, I would still be writing as much as I am now. So I'm like, I might as well just make less money and like try and get the like like the books going and then I don't have to like do this in my spare time. I can just do this with my all time. Yeah. But I don't, I'm I'm not, I'm not it's not a good business decision. It's a, it's a horrible business decision, but um and I'm smart enough to know that, but also smart enough to know that like it's the only decision that uh that will work for me and I literally only only maybe in the past 3 months like really came to that realization. And I've been doing this now since I was 2006, so almost 15 years and I just learned it about myself. And my wife is like, duh. <laughs> uh, but like, I just was able to be safe. It's sort of in the way that um, at a time, at a certain point in your profession, you have to choose. You either can be a creative or like a publisher. Mm-hmm. And like you, you can't really do a, be a great publisher and a great like creator at the same time. Like you can, you can do good creative work um, as a publisher uh, and like your spare time, but like your job either has to be growing the publishing or growing the, uh, the creative part of your business. And I thought I could do a both for a while. And I realized, uh, again, not that long ago, maybe like three or four years ago that like I was successful enough that I had to make a choice and either I needed to become a full line publisher, um, or or vastly increase my own productivity so that I can get more of my own work out there. And I made that choice. Again, I don't think it's a good choice. Like, I don't think it's like a good business decision because like I can go and find 12 books that are great, way easier than it will take me to like write 12 great books. Mm -hmm. But I just had no passion for other people's stuff. Like I love it in our anthologies, like, but aside from the anthologies which i'm in and i edit it just is very hard for me to have passion for like someone else's work uh anywhere near unless i am involved in it at some level um and so yeah i think you just have to make that choice on at, at some point and and uh i can't I feel like i lost the thread of this question a little while ago but i, I think you answered my, my follow-up to it was uh, what was your like what was the crux of I need to make this conscious decision. Like what what brought you to that? You just knew that like this wasn't working, and I need to make a conscious decision too. Yeah, I I think I just had to. At, at some day, it just became clear. Like I don't think there's a. I do I, I I I do these things like once a year at least. Uh, usually it comes four times a year. Where like I'll just take some time off. Like I take all of December off to just like study what went right in my business. Now I'm not going to do that this year because like I've had four months of like being off from doing everything. But most years I like will I'll be running really hard from January or March at least until um, until November. And I'll take de- uh, to take December off. And that's usually where these realizations come from. Um, uh, because I'm usually busy, like I'm usually gone between me and my wife we're gone like 20 of the first 26 weeks of the year. Like we are rarely at home uh, on the weekends. Cause we have, I have conferences. She has conferences. Yeah, she, uh, she works with autistic children. So she's just a research manager. Uh, so I, sorry, she's the head of research for a company. She has some title in research, which like is nebulous right now. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so she, um, but yeah, so she does her conferences. I do my conferences and, you know, very rarely do we like, do, do I get six months to sit at home and like, think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pretty sure that this would have come to me mm-hmm. at some point in the year. Um, but because of how I was having to restructure my business, you know, I didn't have to restructure it. It was working fine last year. I was working fine last year. And, uh, and and so I, I but now I have to kind of rebuild it from scratch. And that led me kind of to being like, OK, well, like the literal easiest way to do this is to just take this course company and just scale it up, because like I know the courses are good, like people constantly tell me the courses are good, like we've had a bunch of sales in them and uh, and yeah, like you can just go and do it. And uh, and then I would be I wake up the next morning and be like, so just go and do it. Go and do it. Go and do it. Just go and do it. And I kept finding myself just going back to the writing part of it. And I'm like, no, not to don't write more. Like, go do the. And eventually, after what, like, probably three, two or three months of that, uh, I was like, all right, fine. Like, so you were saying that the course thing is just like going to sit here then. Like, it's just going to sit there until such time as like you are forced to do it. And my body was like, yes, that's, that's accurate. If you were forced to do it, then you can scale this business. Like if you have no other recourse, but to like, you must have money, you can then go and like invest the money to scale this business. But until such a time as you have no choice, but to scale this business, like you should focus on your writing because your plan A is still not off the table yet. Um, and that's something that I learned a couple of years ago. Like, I remember when I did my first graphic novel and I, my work itself, like raised like $25,000 at launch. And I was like, oh my God, like I might have a plan A, like the plan A of my, of my like career might actually happen. And I don't have to publish other people's work and which I was fine doing. Like I like publish, like it's fine, but like, it's not like where my passion lies. Uh, same thing with the thing with, a cor- with like the course thing. I just like, I feel like a part of me was just, saying well like are you ready to say no to the plan a because if not then like the plan a needs to be your plan and then like uh and 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 if that doesn't work then you have this plan b that like you have done a lot of work on like years of work building the complete creative but um you know you don't have to do it yet you don't have to be there yet you can be over here for now and that is what felt good to me and that is what gets up and I can still like do that work. And I, and, and until I can't do that work anymore, I'm just going to keep doing that work. And it's very hard work and like it's very low margin. Uh, but, uh, it's the work that my stupid brain has decided is the only work that matters to me, really. You and I run so parallel. I have, you know, I have this, but I also have being a brain in the podcast. Stops up in the business, and I do those because I like them. But more, I know how to do them. Like I know how to teach people marketing. I know how to, so I do that. But I love the beige and beige houses. I love it. It's my compulsion, and it's my love. And I have these two separate entities, and because I know that you know, if I really wanted to. Like, that could be so profitable and so but it's it's there because I know how to 
do it and so I should. Whereas this, not as profitable, but it's what drives me. It's the thing that I want to do. And I, want to, I want to get out of bed and I want to talk to people. But, you know, so I, I completely sympathize with what you're saying. Um, I know you have to go. So, but I have more questions to you about self-care and things like that. So would you, you can keep going for a little bit. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. So um, a lot of the underlying things I hear you say are that um, we take this as the method of self-care. Like, if, would you agree with that accurate? I think so. I mean, it's also my way of self-punishment, but you're like, <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, you know, I... So it's hard because, like, there, there's this pervasive thing that, like, your hobbies need to be the thing that, like, you, you're always trying to monetize your hobbies, yeah. right? Like, this is, there's this thing that comes around, and I feel like I've done a very good job of monetizing my hobbies because, like, writing and reading are my hobbies. Like, those are the things that I do. And, like, you know, uh, 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 so, uh, uh, but on the other hand, like, it's hard to watch something you love like hurt you so i i I mean i was suicidal at this point last year because i had these book launches that did not go well at all like for instance i would spend two thousand dollars on a book and i made twenty dollars on that book like when it launched so i had this whole big unit the gods verse chronicles the first time they launched like they were not successful like it wasn't until i relaunched them earlier this year and repackaged them that like they became profitable and like wonderfully so and uh and and that's been it's been lovely um to to watch that happen finally um but yeah it was like so bad last year and uh uh, i i i was able to turn it around and have like three or four now good launches in a row i went from that to like doing a ichabod launch for fifteen thousand sixteen thousand dollars and then the god's first relaunch was about ten thousand dollars and and uh and um and then the Cthulhu is hard to spell second book that just came into my warehouse yesterday is, uh, was like $31,000. And then the last one we just finished was like $9,500. So like four good launches in a row. Um, but, but, but the, the, I, this time last year is really in a bad place. And, um, I, I realized that the reason is because I had tied my self worth to my success. And when, which is great. It feels really good on the way up, especially because like writers, despite the fact that they, uh, they don't really like talking about money are quite entrepreneurial and creatives are quite entrepreneurial and they have been forever. Like creators were some of the first entrepreneurs because like there's no real job for painter like a painter just doesn't have a like they don't have a job they have to like figure out how to like make a living like outside of the job and 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 uh same thing with writers and same thing with other people so um while some people do have jobs the uh, like uh, outside of the writing the writing part of it uh, by itself is just like and the creative part itself is is like freelance entrepreneurial like at its core um and i wish more people would like embrace that part of it because it's just like like banking is not by nature entrepreneurial like fl- florist is not by nature entrepreneurial like there are all these other jobs that like are not by nature entrepreneurial like there you can go if you just want to be a florist and and work for like a florist who exists mm-hmm. but it's really hard to like find a a a like writer that exists and just like then also you can be a writer because if you're working for a writer you're usually an editor or a uh, or a uh, a proofreader 
you're not doing the writing part also on some level, like with artists, if you're making comics, then you're also like potentially doing backgrounds or fixes or something like that, or painting, maybe you'll get some like background work. It's like if you work for a painter, but like usually like if you want to be a painter or a comic book artist, like you've got to go and be a comic book artist. Like you just got to go and like do it. And same thing with like almost every, uh, uh, creative pursuit except maybe like things that would work in a marketing or advertising agency like graphic design or like copywriting or something like that mm-hmm. but there's just an inherent nature to like creativity and entrepreneurship um, and so you're already kind of feel like an outcast because the reason you're going to make stuff is because you don't see that stuff like any entrepreneur like is kind of like, I don't think the way you're doing this is right. Or like, I think that like, I can do it better. Or like, I think I can do this. Other. So like, by nature, you kind of are starting at a place where people are like, no, I don't believe you. Like, or sure, 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 sure. But like, you're starting at a place of zero. Mm-hmm. And so tacking your success on the way up is really, really nice. Because like, suddenly, like people are taking you seriously and like buying your stuff and like hiring you to do work. And like, you're getting recognition and all of that stuff. The problem is that as you rise in success, so does your expectation. So uh, if you go from zero to 40, uh, you stop after a little while, you forget that like you were at level one. Uh, you just 40 becomes the norm. And then if you go up to 60, 60 becomes the norm. And then if you go up to 80, 80 becomes the norm. And uh, so, and then uh, any failure you get. So if you go up from 80 to 70, right. Like it feels like a loss. It doesn't feel like, like you're still 78. It feels like, oh, crap, I'm like down two. And the uh, the thing about creative work is that not everything is going to be a hit. Like not even the thing that you did is not going to be a hit over time. So like uh, so it really comes down to like you have to. I found that I had to disentangle my self-worth from my work and understand that if I believed in the work, um, it would find an audience over time or like I could be proud in the work itself and that like I've had enough success that like I don't have to have everything be a massive success for me and that some projects, a lot of projects, like they just do not have the potential to be massive successes. Like they are by definition niche. They are in a niche. They are for a specific audience and like you exist, you exert, you exhaust that audience quickly and so like yeah you may find a rabid fan base of like a thousand but like after you hit that thousand like you ain't hitting a million like you're hitting like a hundred thousand maybe you're hitting like like there's a finite number of people who are going to buy that book in that project and you can either uh and you should like make certain projects to be like your breakout hits that have the big audience like you can be selling forever but not every project is going to be that and um and so it's important that you understand that piece and that you become comfortable with the fact that if you're doing the work it has value and if and you also have value whether you do the work or don't do the work i love that and that's a really healthy way to think of things so i hope that last year's you would be very happy I think so. I mean, look, I, I, I talk to my, my, I talk about this all the time this year. I'm like, look, this year sucks. 2020 sucks. I am not sure it would be top 10 bad year of my life. Like, honestly, like, I don't 
I don't think 2020 was, was, is worse than 2019 for me. Mm-hmm. 2017 and 2018 were pretty good. Um, but like the years between like 2006 and seven and nine, 10, 11, 12, like 13, like most of my twenties, like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And like, I only got success really like in 2017 of any like tangible measure, uh, where it felt like it was like real and felt like I could hold on to it. There were like little bits of success and like we were selling books, but like on a very like small level, you know, what, once 2017 came around, like we, we did like a lot better and it was great. And, um, but, but yeah, like I, I, I would, I would hope that all years before this, uh, Russell would look back and be like, well, he's in a way better place than he was like. I was back then. I mean, it sucks. I can't do conventions, which is most of my living. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I've been able to do three Kickstarters this year and I've been able to make, uh, I think I made actually more this year so far for wannabe press than I had did last year uh, up until this point in the year. I still don't know how that happened, but uh, I mean, I'm not confident that it will continue until the second half of the year, but uh, it was just, it was really interesting to look at this year and be like, well, for the first six months, like, like want to be press money, at least like we are doing like, all right for ourselves, uh, uh, because of the Kickstarters. We only did one Kickstarter last year and we did three this year. We did zero in the first six months of last year and we did three this year in the first six months. So it really like helped keep the momentum up of course i was planning on doing shows as well and like really getting to the next level but i'm happy that we can just like kind of maintain the what we were doing before and as i try to move towards a business model that is going to be better for me because i don't think shows were very uh, i mean i like doing shows i love doing shows but they are brutal and like they take a lot of time to recover from and build up to. I don't think it's the healthiest way for me to spend my time. So I'm hoping that I can like develop whatever I need to do during this like weird time of COVID to like come out of it in 2021 or 2022 with like a, just a better, a better, more stable writing business. And that means right now just writing a lot. Just like, uh, you know, I have a, a, a series that I'm launching next year and I was planning on uh, not writing any books in it until 2021. Well, I'm about to finish my sixth book in the Godsverse uh, 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 Chronicles. It looks like I, I'll be able to finish it next uh, next month. I hopefully will be able to finish the seventh book, which is the last book in the Godsverse Chronicles uh, by like October. And then I'll have nothing to do because I'm not going home for Christmas. So like, I'll just probably get several books ahead of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, it's called the obsidian spindle saga. And like, I'll just start writing that. And then by the time 2022 comes around, hopefully I'll have like 16 books in that series or whatever it's going to be. And then maybe be able to move on to something else. And, but like the thing with creative work is it's about volume. It's about quality volume. Like you make your money on the back catalog. And so you need to have a big back catalog before you can start monetizing it, especially online. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to assume you're interested in it, but that seems like it's really 
So I will. Where can I send people to find out more about you? Sure. So uh, if you want to uh, find more of my work, the best way is to go to russellnolte.com. Uh, russellnolte.com, you can sign up for a mailing list and get five free books. Do uh, uh, check out the first issue of Ichabod Jones' Monster Hunter, the first issue of Katrina Hates the Dead, a sample of the first uh, Cthulhu is Hard to Spell anthology. And uh, also you get the first chapter of my nonfiction book, uh, uh, How to Build Your Creative Career, which is called How to Make the Best Work of Your Life. And then a, a uh, special Katrina story that is only for people that are on my mailing list, which is about the first day of the apocalypse. Well, I will answer all that Thank you so much for this. This has been amazing. Awesome. Absolutely. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, Megan here. Before you go, I would love to ask a favor of you. It is so helpful to have reviews on new podcasts as it really helps iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those guys find out that you're really enjoying it and that they should show it to new people. So if you wouldn't mind just leaving a quick review about what you think about the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much again. I'll talk to you next week. On the next episode... Um, you know, I, I think just being open-minded, um, to what you're hearing. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid of what, um, they might get. I noticed that with a lot of clients and um, a lot of people tell me, they're like, oh, you know, I'm a little afraid of, you know, what I'm going to hear when I do a tarot reading, but people need to, you know, kind of remember that, um, nothing's set in stone and, 